freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode number 142 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is a few of our favorite things, clips from shows on Self-Defense Radio Network. Absolutely. So we are a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network, and uh, we always encourage all of our listeners to check out the content at sdrn.us. But Today, I want to bring you a sample of the shows that you would find there, Um, little clips from uh, several of the different shows, because sometimes we don't know where to go for reliable information about gun rights, about the politics, about the sporting events involved um, in in the shooting sports, and the hosts that you will find at sdrn.us, they, they're professionals. You know, they've been in this field forever, um, and they bring a real unique perspective uh, with their expertise, their area of expertise. And uh, so, Dan, I'm going to let you introduce the clips that we're going to have, and, uh, and then I want to talk about something else that is a favorite thing of mine. All right. The first hour, we have The Hot Zone with Chuck Holton. Episode 3, Chuck talks about the impact that mass immigration is having on the citizens of European countries who are now wanting the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense and home protection. We also have the Out of the Order podcast with host James Kalidas, and he interviews Lieutenant Colonel Grossman about the psychological effects of self-defense. We also have the Eye of the Tiger. Target Radio with host Rob Campbell and Amanda Suffolk. They discuss the importance of bringing people who are new to the shooting sports out to enjoy a great day on the range and the elements of being a good ambassador on the range. Our second hour, we have Unload the Show Clear. Unload and Show Clear. Host Lloyd Bailey, he interviews world champion Bob Vogel. Bob has won multiple titles in IPSC, International Practical Shooting Confederation, IDPA, International Defense Pistol Association, and USPSA, United States Practical Shooting Association. We need an extra helping of eye on the target radio, so in addition to the clip on hour one, we will have Rob Campbell and Amanda Suffolk offering some great information on the importance of cleaning and testing pre-owned guns before you shoot them. In our final two clips, we have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report in the very capable hands of Rob Morris and David Cole from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Absolutely. And the segment where Rob and Amanda are talking about 
you know, you buy a, a secondhand firearm, you have no idea what the previous owner may have uh, done in, you know, did they clean it well? Did they ever clean it? You know, did they add some aftermarket something to it? Did they shoot super hot loads through it all the time? Um, and so it's one of those things that I don't know that we think about often enough, but it's part of firearm safety. And when we put safety first, then the fun follows. So you're definitely going to want to stick around for all of these clips. And um, Chuck Holton, he's not yet on SDRN, but I, I'm going to be working on him to get him uh, on that network as well, because um, he not only talks about, you know, gun related things, um, but he he has such a great perspective because he has traveled the world uh, and he has been in these places where we hear, I'm going to put in air quotes, news about. But there's so much that we never get a chance to hear that Chuck has experienced and then brings to, uh, to his show, The Hot Zone. So I had said that I wanted to talk about, um, I mean, the theme of the show is a few of our favorite things. And one of my favorite things, Dan, of course, is education, right? Being uh, brought up to speed, however you want to phrase that in your mind, uh, that is a favorite thing of mine. I love to learn. I love to read. Uh, I I'm a gatherer of information, sometimes very useful and other times just kind of, you know, oh, isn't that interesting? Yes, an educated person that shoots is going to have less accidents and he's going to have more fun Mm -hmm. or she. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Well, this uh, article I want to talk about, or it's a survey rather, it's from a group called safehome.org who I'm honestly otherwise unfamiliar with. But I, I noticed the headline that came out of this particular survey that they did that basically said that 52% of people surveyed, Americans surveyed, believe that the Second Amendment needs to be changed or repealed. And I thought, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, and my brain always initially goes to, you know, just like when people say, yeah, like, some big percentage of Americans think that we need more um, gun laws or we need stronger gun laws. And I immediately go to stronger than what? I mean, that is kind of the core of it. If, if Most often they don't even know what the laws are, the people that are spouting off these things. And so stronger than what? If you don't even know the the core of it, then I'm not sure that anyone should really listen and take you seriously. And I don't, again, mean to to be harsh or demeaning or anything like that. But but honestly, why why would you be an expert if you haven't studied on it? And why would your opinion to change or repeal our Second Amendment even be considered? as a viable opinion. So throughout this survey, which I found quite interesting, first of all, it was only a thousand people. So a thousand people in a country like the United States is not even a drop in a drop of a bucket. So there's that. Um, 
the second thing is that they pretty much tell us straight out in this survey that the the key to everything is, as I'm saying, education. And so they say right in here that increased knowledge of the Bill of Rights led to an increased satisfaction with the Constitution. So how many of these people that answered, how many of these 52% that answered even understand what the Bill of Rights is and that it's a part of the Constitution and that it was written after our founding fathers had just fought a bloody war against a tyrannical and oppressive government. How many people really understand that? So then they can look at the words of every amendment in the Bill of Rights and all of the Constitution as a whole and go, yeah, I get that. I understand now why that's important um, instead of just having these emotional and knee-jerk reactions to uh, what passes as news these days that, you know, somehow we don't know anything about guns. We don't know anything about the Constitution. But you know what I do know? I heard that guns are bad and people that own them are bad. And so then they're asked these questions about, do you think we need stronger laws? And of course, what are they going to say? All they're left with is, yes, I think we need stronger laws. So um, I just kind of wanted to, to throw that out there. I'd love for everybody to look this survey up yourself, safehome.org. Take a gander through it. It's kind of interesting and it's comical in some ways, I suppose, but there is one tiny ray of hope, and that is that the Gen Zers, uh, that's the next generation coming up after Gen X, um, I mean, sorry, the millennials, is that these Gen Zers are more knowledgeable about the Constitution than any of the other uh, groups, generation groups studied. And Maybe that gives us a, a tiny little hope that um, our future is not completely <laughs> lost, our, our history is not completely lost to our future generations. So um, with that, you know what? I think maybe we'll, we'll launch. What do you think, Dan? Let's go. All right. So uh, sit back, relax. So some of these uh, clips that we're going to play – you might even want to take notes. They're that good. Um, and we will bring you now a few of our favorite things. So as soon as we come back from these couple of ads, these commercials, we have a great lineup starting with our friend Chuck Holton in the hot zone. Stick around. Hey gang, this is Masad Ayub from the Pro Arms Podcast. I'm here to remind you that our podcast is a member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. And I'm going to suggest you do what we do and check out the other podcasts at selfdefenseradio.net. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories Podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. 
We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, today's show is a few of our favorite things, and we're bringing you clips from some of our favorite shows. And our friend Chuck Holton has a podcast called The Hot Zone, and we found his episode three to be particularly uh, important to the kinds of conversations that we have on our show. And Chuck is talking to us about the impact that mass immigration is having on the citizens of European countries who are now wanting the right, as we have here in America, to keep and bear arms for self and home protection. Welcome to the Hot Zone. It's December 11th, 2018. Denmark gives immigrants the cold shoulder. U.S. forces stage a massive exercise in the Nevada desert, and migrants keep piling up on the U.S. southern border. I'm Chuck Holton, and this is The Hot Zone. Welcome to The Hot Zone podcast with Chuck Holton, an experienced war correspondent who has covered wars and disasters for more than 15 years. Holton gives you a rundown of what the media isn't telling you about crisis around the world and lets you join him in doing something positive to help those who need it the most. Come along and engage with the news in a whole new way with Chuck Holton in the hot zone. Hello, everyone. We're going to spend a lot of time on immigration today. But before we get to that, I want to point out a huge exercise that's happening this week in the Nevada desert north of Las Vegas. It's called a JFEX, which stands for Joint Forced Entry Exercise. And it's the largest gathering of awesome firepower anywhere in the world. Hundreds of planes from jet fighters to the behemoth C-17 Starlifters and C-5 Super Galaxies all will be doing an incredible choreographed aerial ballet that's really something to behold. The ground pounders will be there also with several mass tack airdrops scheduled to take place. This footage is from last year. I tell you what, watching these guys stand up and hook up and shuffle out the door brings back so many great memories. I was really fortunate to participate in about 100 jumps like that, and my knees are not happy, but the rest of me loved it. So Denmark is the latest country in Europe that is deciding that maybe massive waves of third world migrants aren't such a great thing for their collective pocketbook or their culture. On Facebook last week, the country's immigration minister, Inger Stojberg, made clear that migrants who cause trouble are going to be made to feel as unwelcome as possible. She announced plans to house the least welcome migrants, that is, those with a criminal background or those who can't be returned to their home countries for whatever reason. They're going to be housed on a tiny 17-acre island with very limited services. The island is about two miles offshore, and it boasts great tourist attractions like a crematorium and a lab for testing animal diseases. The minister says it isn't exactly prison, but it'll be a really brisk swim in the Baltic Sea for anybody who wants to leave. This move is just the latest in a series of measures aimed at making Denmark less exciting as a place to be an, ex uh, uh, an asylum seeker.
Earlier this year, the Danish parliament passed a law that allows the country to confiscate any cash or valuables the migrants bring with them, above about $2,000, to help pay for their care. Now, ever since the migrant wave into Europe started in 2015, with over a million refugees that year alone flooding into the continent, they're coming from places like... Syria and Afghanistan and North Africa. I've been predicting that the sheer numbers of refugees would fundamentally change Europe. That was abundantly clear, but what surprised the majority of pundits, including me, was just how much backlash we are seeing from voters across that continent. The largest mass migration since World War II is causing a huge political shift to the right in many countries, from, from Hungary, where they built a huge fence along the southern border. I went and saw it. It's incredible. And they've refused to take their quota of migrants that was assigned to them by the European Union. To the new right-leaning governments in Austria and Italy, Brexit in the U.K., and Angela Merkel watching her grip on power slowly slip away in Germany. Even Norway and Sweden, which is home to some of the most polite people on earth, are starting to vote more conservative because they see their country going up in flames, sometimes literally. I spent a couple of weeks this summer traveling across Europe and visited an average of one country per day on that trip. I talked to people everywhere I went about this issue and was really amazed at how unhappy most people are with the unfettered immigration that's being encouraged and in some cases paid for by left-wing groups like the United Nations and George Soros Open Society Foundation. Unfortunately, what Europe's finding is that if you bring in millions of people from countries that are essentially lawless, then you shouldn't be surprised if those people have a tough time with the concept of following the law. That means crime rates are skyrocketing in many parts of Europe, especially when it comes to things like robberies and sexual assaults. Now, I tried to explain how this could happen happen on a trip last spring to Berlin. Check this out. When we talked to Aline earlier today, she made a very important point, and I just want to stress that point for you because it's so important. She said this is not a racial issue. This is a culture issue. Let me just explain to you what that means. Imagine that you grew up in Syria or Afghanistan or someplace like that. The only women you've ever seen that don't have a burqa on are in your own family. And all of a sudden you come to Germany and you go to take the bus one day. And here on the side of the bus stop is Germany's next top model. Now, let me just explain something to you. You've never seen anything like this in your life. And what is that going to make you think about German culture? What's that going to make you think about the sexual politics of how you find a girlfriend here or how you approach women? And I'm not saying that, th that this is wrong. I'm not saying there's anything bad with German culture. I'm just saying it's that different. And if you've never been exposed to it before, it's really shocking. And so that cultural difference is really what's causing these problems. And when you bring in two million people over the course of a year and a half or two years, they don't have to assimilate very quickly. And it is causing exactly what we're seeing here. Now, we need to learn from history. You can learn from Germany's history especially that all it takes is a charismatic leader to take hold of an issue like this that the people feel like the government is not doing a good job on, that they're weak on, and weaponize that issue to turn it into something that takes the country to a place it does not want to go. And that's why we're here telling you this story. 
Now, this kind of culture clash is causing lots of consternation across the continent. And even more surprising is the number of people who are looking to get a gun for self-defense. That is a big change. So many people in Italy, for example, want to have better ways to protect themselves that one town near Milan that I visited began pushing a program to help subsidize the purchase of a firearm for all of its citizens. Listen to part of my interview with the daughter of the mayor of the beautiful town of Borgo Sesia. I read, uh, Grant, uh, that the, the laws here were, are, are actually kind of antiquated. And so if you get a permit to, to uh, protect yourself, you can carry a cane with a 20-inch blade, but you can't carry pepper spray, you can't carry a taser or any kind of non-lethal because the, the law was put in place before that stuff existed. Is that correct? Yeah. Basically, I mean, you can have a firearm in the house, and if somebody was to break into my house, if I were to shoot them, um, I would then have to pay the damages for that person's family, and I would suffer. So you're the, the one that gets in trouble. Yeah, because you need to first of all, before you can aim and shoot, recognize that they have a firearm on them, and then have to recognize if it's real or not. Okay, so tell me what they call it if you were to shoot somebody and they decide that that firearm wasn't real; it was a BB gun or something. Well, it would be attempt murder. No, oh, okay. I thought yeah. you said it was like uh, excessive self-defense. Yeah, also excessive self-defense, yeah. but you'd probably, if you like shot and killed them, it would be attempted murder. I got you. So they, they actually have a, a law that's called using excessive self-defense, <laughs> which uh, obviously they the, the Italians here would like to see changed. Chuck, it's unbelievable to me to think, first off, uh, I love Miss Barbali talking about immigration the way we talk about it. Chuck, you and I talk about it here in America. We need her to go to Berkeley and inform right. some of the students there about, about immigration. But then to hear liberal policies that we see in cities like in California, same thing going on in Italy there, that there is this head-in-the-sand mentality that somehow an attacker is not going to do you any harm first instead of the fact that the attacker could do you harm first and you have a right to protect yourself. Now, how is, how is she, Ms. Barbali, well, tell me, someone comes into your home, are you not expected to protect yourself? I mean, in a sense, yeah, we are, but we're not supposed to shoot. Like, if you have a firearm on you, you're not allowed to do anything. So I don't know. I don't know what they expect us to do. Like, I'm not going to sit and wait. Maybe just run away, yeah, I suppose. I'm not going to sit and wait to be harmed. Like, neither my parents would obviously, like, protect your children first. And I don't think my parents would wait for the worst to happen your immediate instinct is to protect your property and the people you love around you. We found this sentiment all across Europe, which I have to say is a big change from even five years ago. And even more prevalent is the feeling that so many migrants are overwhelming Europe's generous welfare systems. I mean, think about it. People are coming from Syria or Yemen who are accustomed to living on a dollar a day or so. And then they find out all they have to do is head north. And if they make it, they can get free housing, free medical care, free education, and up to a couple thousand euros a month. And they don't even have to work for it. What's to stop everyone from the third world to try to get in on that deal? And can you blame them? I mean, if they're handing out cookies, don't blame me for getting in line. Now, let's look at what's happening with immigration here on our side of the pond. The so-called migrant caravan is still held up at the border in Tijuana, Mexico. There are roughly 10,000 people living in squalid camps there. And when a 1,000 or so tried unsuccessfully to charge the port of entry a couple weeks ago, 
their American dream has kind of started to turn into a nightmare as they were turned back by lots and lots of Border Patrol agents with tear gas and things like that. So many of these humble people from Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador were encouraged or even celebrated by the media for deciding to simply walk to the promised land. They were being helped along their way by sympathetic locals and churches and left-wing groups. But now that help is drying up. Then the migrants are kind of stuck. I mean, nobody's going to help them get back home now that it's proving a lot harder than they were told to get into the United States. When I was traveling with the caravan as they crossed from Guatemala into Mexico, there were already some people who were having second thoughts. As I drove north documenting their progress, hundreds of people begged me for a ride in my car. And although I could have easily carried four or five people the 20 miles or so to their next stopping place, I refused to give any of them rides. And it felt kind of mean, I have to admit, watching those hot, weary travelers, sometimes with tiny babies, walking along in the tropical heat while I rode in comfort in my air-conditioned rental car. But I wanted to do the most loving thing possible. I could see what's now happening on the U.S. southern border. I could tell many of these people would never qualify for asylum, and they were being driven on by a false hope. And it isn't loving to engender false hope in people. Neither is it loving to encourage someone to steal from others, which is essentially what that person is doing when they illegally cross our borders. See, they're immediately stealing taxpayer dollars as we have to be forced to house them and care for them while they make their way through the asylum process. And then they're stealing from other migrants who are attempting to enter the country the right way. So I didn't give any rides north, but when I got to their next stopping point, which was a little town called Weeksla, I found thousands of people sleeping on cardboard on the sidewalk or sleeping on pews inside the main Catholic church in town. The heat was oppressive. It was dirty. It was nasty. Groups were there handing out food and clothes and medicine, but nothing fancy. While I was there, I found a woman who told me she had had enough. Her name was Judy, and she had a little 18-month-old girl named Noeli Montserrat. Now, I was planning to drive back to the Guatemalan border anyway that evening and stay in Tapachula, so I offered to give Judy a ride. And shortly after leaving town, we picked up another straggler, a 17-year-old kid who'd had enough of walking. This little baby is Montserrat, and her mother is Judy. Nelson is there in the back seat. Uh, I'm heading back towards the border with Guatemala in Chiapas State, south of, uh, in, in southern Mexico. Um, the caravan is swollen to maybe seven or 8,000 people in Huixla, uh, and they're getting ready to leave and go further north. But these two decided they'd had enough. The heat and the hunger and the uncertainty just proved to be too much for them and they decided they'd, they'd rather go home. So since I'm heading that way, I'm gonna give them a ride back to the border. We found out that the Honduran government has provided buses for people who wanna go home. And we're gonna to try to go find those and uh, get them back to Honduras. They say that they left Honduras in the first place just simply because there are no jobs, which means no money, which means no food. There are people actually going hungry there now, and um, they've always had a dream of going to the United States, but it looks like this is not the way it's going to happen for them. I drove them back to the border where we shared a nice supper before I put them on the raft to cross back into Guatemala. 
Word had it that the Honduran government was offering free bus transport on the other side of that river uh, back to their hometown of San Pedro Sula. I have to say, watching little Noelle float away into the darkness on that raft just about tore my heart out. I gave them some money, but it was pretty clear they would have to sleep on the ground that night. But it was their choice. And so, you know, I've been able to keep in touch with Yudi via WhatsApp since that day. And they did, in fact, make the last bus back to Honduras. And they're back home now with Yudi's grandmother in San Pedro Sula. Work is very hard to come by for a young single mother anywhere, but especially there. And so I imagine it's not going to be much of a Christmas. So let's change that, shall we? I'm going to send Yuri and little Noelle a gift for Christmas. Do you want to pitch in? This is the kind of thing we're going to do on this podcast. Not just make the news, but make the news good. We're going to reach into the lives of the people affected by world events and show them what love looks like. Now, I'm super excited that so many of you want to join me, and I hope you will. So that's all for the podcast today. If you want to get involved, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hotzone or send a one-time donation through PayPal via hotzoneholton at gmail.com. That's hotzoneholton, all one word, at gmail.com. We'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you have a great one. Until then, and I'm Chuck Holton, so thanks for joining us on The Hot Zone. This has been The Hot Zone with Chuck Holton, produced by Amy Holton, copyright 2019. Stick around. We have much more coming up on Gun Freedom Radio right after these messages. Hey, ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Pot of Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at potofgoldstate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Cogger sent you. Come in and stake your claim with some live auction action at Pot of Gold Estate Auctions. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. 
Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I am asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. Well, thanks for sticking around. You're with Gun Freedom Radio. And if you have missed any portion of today's show, please go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the On Demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content. All of the episodes that we have posted there. And when you want to put a face with a voice, click the Guest tab. You will find photos and bios and links to the works of all of the guests that we've ever had on. It is a tremendous resource, and, you know, we don't hate it when you spend time there. All right, so our next clip on our Few of Our Favorite Things show is from the Out of Order podcast. Host James Kalidas interviews Lieutenant Colonel Grossman about the psychological effects of self-defense. Hi, this is James Kalita, host of the Out of Order Gun Rights Podcast. You can find us on iTunes under Out of Order Gun Rights Podcast and at outoforderjameskalita.com. We bring you interesting interviews with members from the firearms community every week. I started this back in June, and so far I've interviewed over 100 people. What kind of people? Well... 87 gun rights activists, 30 women, 31 firearms trainers, 11 lawyers, 3 doctors, 9 podcast hosts, 5 survivors of violent crimes, and 16 authors, including the author of On Killing and On Combat, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, and I'd like to share a portion of his interview with you now. What's going to happen in that life and death event? I would, thank you. Yeah, so a lot of my listeners carry firearms for self-defense, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what to expect if they have to use their firearm in a defensive situation, what happens to them psychologically, physiologically, and is there something they can do to train for it? All right. Now, first and foremost is forewarned is forearmed. When these things happen to you, you're not stunned by them. I've got case after case. People said, you told us what was going to happen. Uh, it was just like you said, it was no big deal, but let's begin with uh, auditory exclusion. Uh, hunters know that you, you fire your hunting rifle out of the range uh, and uh, you're without hearing protection, use a ring. Go to shoot a deer, what do you hear? Most people hear nothing. Some people hear pop and your ears don't ring. By the way, hunters, <laughs> you are still getting hearing loss. The shutout is in the nerve. The ears are still being hammered. Wear hearing protection when you hunt. You be a deaf old geezer like me, that's a pain in the butt. But folks, the, uh, the auditory exclusion, the fact that the shots are muted, uh, you might hear the brass hit the ground behind you and, and loud. You might hear the racking of the weapon. It's all loud, but the gunshots are muted. Uh, and then what happens is tunnel vision. Now, this is terribly important. People talk about looking through a, a toilet paper tube. Some people talk about looking through a soda straw. The bad guy has tunnel vision, too. 
and lateral movement can take you right off his radar screen. Every draw should have a sidestep built into it. To not sidestep when you draw should be the exception. Every draw should have a sidestep built into it. Uh, and and, and, and it, it, that sidestep can very possibly take you right off his radar screen. In combat, movement is life. Lateral movement, sidesteps are, are, are essential. So we got tunnel vision and we got, the, we got slow motion time. And, and I've had hundreds of people tell me they can see the bullet in combat. And I believe them. On several occasions, they could walk up and point where the bullet hit. There's no way they could have done it. They weren't tracking their eyes like they said they were. It's like airsoft, where it's slow enough you're tracking your eyes, and I believe them. Then we got memory gaps, and that's terribly important. You know, uh, 2016 was the single worst year-over-year increase in cops murdered in the history of our nation. Every year, cops have better training, better tactics, better medical technology, better, better equipment. The only good assessment of the problem is the year-over-year increase in the murder rate or the year-over-year increase in cops murdered. And in 2016, we had the single worst year-over-year increase in cops murdered in the history of our nation. Five cops murdered in Dallas, four cops murdered in Baton Rouge, onesies and twosies across America. Uh, the media's hate campaign on our cops, uh, it's just this, this twisted misrepresentation of our police has created this, this, this dynamic of, of empowering the cop killers out there. But we also had people come to the cops' house to murder their families. And again, Mama Bear, protect our cubs, most dangerous thing on the planet. And Mama Bear put a load of double-up buck in this guy's face, game over. We tell people, we carry a pistol around because the rifle's a pain in the butt and hard to conceal. When you're home, you get the home court advantage. You get to pick the weapon you use. Your bird hunter, some version of trusty bird gun with, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with smaller shot that won't punch through the walls and kill people two blocks down. If, if you're, a, if you're a, a deer hunter, some version of tr trusted deer gun. Uh, if you've been in the military or if you sought training, uh, the, the AR platform is, is the best tool we have out there. The, the 5.56 caliber is minimal over-penetrational wall boards. It's a great tool to use. And she was a bird hunter. She used the bird gun. It came over. But she told me, she said, I was messed up. And she said, you know what bothered me the most? She said, I heard the audio recording of my 911 call. And to this day, I have no memory of making that call. And then she said, somebody gave me your book on combat. They said, look, it's in the book. It's normal. The most healing words on the planet. It's normal. But it's so much better to have given this ahead of time. So know those memory gaps are normal and memory distortions. One out of five cops just flat remember something that did not happen. Uh, usually little things. But folks, I, I, I remember something did what happened. Well, what do we call that? Another, in other words, that's hallucinations. Early in the war, one of my tier one spec ops medics back from his first combat tour said, why did the wounded hallucinate so much? So here's the point now. This is important. Half of all cops had memory gaps. One out of five had memory distortions. Just flat remember something that did not happen. In the state of Texas, they passed a law that the cop has the right to see every video before he makes a written statement. If he doesn't see those videos, his memory gaps, his memory distortions, then he got to live with those videos in court. People say, oh, you lied on your first statement. No, he didn't. But, but here's the point for us. If trained seasoned cops could have memory gaps, if trained seasoned cops could have memory distortions, how much more so could it happen to the, the individual homeowner or the the, the, the person who's protecting his family or her family, how much more so with us? What we tell cops is, 
you don't make a statement until you see the videos. And you make the initial statement, I was in fear for my life, I, I, and I need to talk to my attorney. We tell cops that, how much more so for us? What I tell people is after that life and death event, this is not the time to be shooting your mouth off. I was in fear for my life, here's my weapon, here's his weapon, uh, I, I, I wanna get my attorney, and, and, and I'd like to be sent to the hospital to be checked for any medical damage that was done to me. Uh, and, and train seasoned cops, their, their union attorney shows up immediately and says he's made his initial statement, you'll get no further statement from us until further down the road. If cops can do that, how much more for us? So I understand that when, when we realize these things are coming, that they won't blindside us. We can be ready for those things. But even more important is be warned about what happens afterwards. We expect crazy things in the heat of battle. When crazy things happen afterwards, it can mess you up unless you've been warned. So I tell people, you know, when you were a kid, how many times do you have to touch a hot stove? Kid, hot stove, how many times? Once, just once. You touch that hot stove, whoa, your heartbeat skyrockets, and, and, a, and, and a powerful neural pathway is established. We've got two brains, the, the, the human brain and the dog brain, laid on top of each other. And the dog brain, the puppy, the fight or flight instinct, punches through the screen door, grabs you by the throat, pees in your lap, said, don't ever touch that stove again. It works. It's called one trial learning. Whenever there's fear and pain associated with learning, a powerful neural network can be established, a network of neurons. If a neural network could be established from touching a hot stove, how much more so from combat, from that life and death event? So we've got uh, an uh, Arkansas state trooper, first gunfight, bad guy's down, he's alive. Happy ending to the story. He said, a week after my first gunfight, I'm sitting up in the bleachers with my wife, watching our daughter at, at, a, at a swim meet. And the starter's gun goes off when he didn't expect it. Boom! His heart is pounding, he's gasping for air, he's drenched with sweat. His wife thought he was having a heart attack. It's not a heart attack, it's a panic attack. A little milder anxiety attack, basically the same thing. The puppy's coming for a visit. And that is normal. It is not PTSD. It can become PTSD. If the puppy comes for a visit, it scares the daylights out of you and you try to not think about it. You will literally drive yourself crazy trying to not think about it. You gotta separate the memory from the emotions. And the path to healing is to remember it without reliving it. And there's many ways we use for that. The breathing exercise, take a swig of water, uh, EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprogramming, we're very good at treating PTSD, and most people come out the other end stronger for the experience. So that's kind of a on combat in a nutshell, being forewarned and forearmed, the puppy coming for a visit. Once you've been warned that puppy might come for a visit, it's no big deal. That was a portion of Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's interview on the Out of Order Gun Rights Podcast, which you can find on iTunes under Out of Order Gun Rights Podcast and at outoforderjamescalita.com. New interviews every week. Check it out. Stick around. We've got much more coming up on the other side of these commercials.
Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Hey. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Hi folks, I'm Don Kyle. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too. Come in for AZ Firearms' huge gun buying event, taking place now until the end of the month. From single items to entire collections, AZ Firearms pays you the highest value for guns. Long guns, handguns, military, western, even your old brass and ammo. We buy it all. Find us online at azfirearms.com or visit us off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. Don't miss the AZ Firearms huge gun buying event. Now through the end of the month at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, today is our few of our favorite things show. We're bringing you clips from some of our favorite shows on the Self-Defense Radio Network, of which we ourselves are a proud member. Our next clip comes from Eye on the Target Radio with hosts Rob Campbell and Amanda Sepakul as they discuss the importance of bringing people who are new to the shooting sports out to enjoy a great day on the range and the elements of being a good ambassador at the range. 
Shooter standby. You hit the radio bullseye. And the home for everything Second Amendment. Concealed carry, the latest gear, reciprocity, legislation, the right to self-protection. And it shall not be infringed. This is Eye on the Target Radio with your hosts, Rob and Amanda. Okay, and we are here. And today for our show, we're going to talk a little bit about what do you do as a Second Amendment person to give back in the education realm? Because I believe that everybody who has a gun and who enjoys the sport of shooting, collecting, personal defense, hunting, um, what, whatever that is entailed with the Second Amendment has a responsibility for educating and for broadening the horizons of those people who are out there who are interested in enjoying our sport in some manner. Because what's happened is, is that we are very compartmentalized. And because we're so compartmentalized, the hunters are like, I don't really understand this whole skeet shooting thing. And then the three gunners are saying, I don't do safaris. And then the, the folks who go to Knob Creek... Well, there's some of them that are very uh, cost-driven. Okay. So when they see a guy at Knob Creek shoot off $80,000 worth of bullets in a couple of hours, they... Uh, they ask why. To, they get a little clutchy about the whole <laughs> Well, okay. But, uh, but it's the fact that if you hit the Mega Millions, maybe you want to buy one of those machine guns and a semi-trailer of bullets so you can go out and shoot the place up or something. And, and do all that. But I think that, I think that what's critical is the fact that we need to kind of stand together. And so let's talk a little well, bit about... we haven't for years. It's, it's always been the, um, well, the, the, the black powder guys are their own group. The, the hunters are their own group. The, uh, the guys who uh, shoot 50 caliber rifles are another group that uh, nobody... They're the, everybody's like, well, I don't know if we really need those. It's like it shouldn't be a case of need. It should be a fact that... He's exercising his Second Amendment rights. You should be all for it. It ain't coming out of your pocket. Pat him on the back. Right. Good job. And go. So let's, uh, let's talk about how we're sharing the message and how we're sharing knowledge and education and how we'd like to see each and every one of you do the same thing, well, where you grab somebody. We're on the radio here and yak about it every week, so... Well, there's that, but let's talk about Women's Day, and let's talk about yesterday, because I think that yesterday was a perfect example of what we do to get the message out, don't you think? You get up at like 5.30 in the morning and load 200 pounds of junk in the back of your car, and then you head for the range and try to get everything set up before everybody else shows up at 8. To exactly. <laughs> well, there is, there is a lot of that, and... So what we do is we do a program called Women's Day on the Range. And the intent is to cause women, women who are girlfriends, who are wives, who are mothers, who are truly talking about guns to seceding generations. Some of them have no place to get the information from. Some of them, Mm -hmm. um, they always tell you, don't teach your wife how to shoot or drive a stick shift. So. (laughs) It's a, there is? You, you always get into a, a big argument about something extremely 
uh, non-consequential, I guess, it would be the... Right, right. There, I, my husband was teaching me how to ride a motorcycle. And there was a spot where finally his friends had to step in just, just because. Right, I mean, and, I, and some of it, it's, if you're not a trainer, there's a spot where this stuff is so easy, I don't know why you don't get it, but yet it's the fact that uh, it's, not. it's not as easy as, it's, it's just the 40 years of experience that you have that makes it look easy. And <laughs> so, exactly. I mean, so, people will say to us, well, I'm having trouble, I can't hit anything, and you tell them, well... It's it's the way your feet are positioned, and they look at you like you got two heads. It's like well, I'm shooting my gun. I don't. I'm not dancing or anything like that. But it, it matters. But, <laughs> but then that's an argument, a discussion, not an argument, a discussion with other instructors. I mean, I've had instructors say it doesn't matter what happens below the belt. I firmly, firmly disagree on a couple levels. But I mean, it's just. It's like seriously, uh, if, well, you're, if your a, feet are in a couple different types of shooting that you're mm-hmm. doing too. If you're standing there trying to shoot a bullseye type shooting, where your feet are at make a big difference. If you're right. into a, a combat situation where you're shooting and moving, and it it's, doesn't matter. it's not as critical due to the fact. One thing is the targets are bigger, and you're moving in a hurry, so a close miss is a really good shot, anyways. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and. Uh, so they're not quite as nitpicky as where you're trying to put five shots in the same hole. Um, but, but there's a lot to what am I trying to accomplish as to how, how good. We had a lady brought her gun in the other day. It's got an extremely hard double action only trigger pull. It's I'm got like, a painfully you, hard. Well, you don't want to use a dime for a bullseye. You want to use a paper plate for a bullseye. I mean, it's, that's right. what the gun's designed for. You need something that's going to be yeah. about the size of a piece of notebook paper. And if you can hit that reliably and the gun goes off all the time, that, that's what it was job was for. It's not right. a bullseye gun. It's not Buy the 8-inch shoot-and-see targets, not the 4-inch or the 2-inch right. for yep. that and gun. It, exactly. And that's the thing is that... It, a lot of it is what what is your gun designed for, and what are you trying to do with it? And mm-hmm. so, uh, so we do a program, and it really it starts with. I have to say that, in my opinion, women learn differently than men, and they want to know the whys, and they want to be able to touch it and look at it and absorb it. Where men are are like, let's get to the good stuff, and so so in this program. I, Rob laughs at me because it's an hour and a half or two hours of talking before we ever get to where we're right. ready to shoot. Men are like, I need 30-30s and I need 45 automatics. And why it's this or that, I don't care. I just need it to say 30-30 or 45 automatics. Right. <laughs> and so we want, we want them to understand. And so we talk about how, what's the difference between center fire and rim fire? How, how, does, how do bullets work? I mean, I frankly... Man says, I need shotgun shells, and if, he goes, if he's going bunny hunting, he buys the box that has the bunny on it. He has a bunny picture, and he's good to go. It's, it's that simple. There's no... Uh, <laughs> I don't so, want to read that stuff. I don't need to know how to convert drams to grains to... So is that like um, ammo granimals? Is that what <laughs> <Yeah>. you're saying? <laughs> right. want to shoot a target, I buy the box with the target on it. I want to shoot a, a bird, I buy the box with the bird on it. <laughs> oh, that's painful. They've taken all the... the Nitpicking stuff out of there. I don't simple. need to know no more than that. But I need 12 gauge or 20 gauge or 16 gauge. You know, and, my, and my gals, when they walk away from Women's Day at the Range, they understand 
a lot more of it. And that understanding gives them confidence. And that confidence allows them to then make a different decisions. They get to then look at it and say, I like a revolver more than a semi-auto. I like a semi-auto more than a revolver. And why? See, a man buys one of each, and then he shoots a couple of them, and the one that he doesn't like, he puts in the dresser, and the other one he takes out and shoots all the time. And then I don't, I don't I, I'm not sure that this is the battle of women versus men in the same kind of way. I, I really don't think so. But talk a little bit about the fact that you had them shooting um, black powder. They were really, really enjoying that. Well, uh, I had a, a side course there, so I took a couple pistols with me, and I took a uh, an 1860 Colt Army, and so mm -hmm. it's a it's a muzzle loading revolver from Civil War period, and uh, I, uh, I I loaded it up and I shot a couple shots, and then they wanted to shoot it, so I we watched, I showed them how to load it, and then we shot a couple times, and they all filmed themselves, and it's a lot of fun because a huge ball of fire comes out of it. A smoke cloud. Smoke cloud. It's, uh, the funny part is the sight is a, just a groove that's cut into the back of the hammer. Mm -hmm. So when the hammer is cocked, you can see the back sight. When the hammer goes down, you don't longer see the back sight. Right. And the, this and pistol that I have is extremely accurate. It, it's those little seven A's peel and stick dots that they give mm -hmm. you on the target. I can hit those with the with this fixed sight thing without a problem. So it's. It's funny that the the whole gun comes apart in pieces with a, a ha you take a hammer and beat the wedge out of it and it just pulls apart. But when you put it back together, it's really accurate. It's really and that exactly accurate. <laughs> well, and and for me, the gals learned just how touchy a trigger is, and so understanding the keep your gun pointed down range, don't touch the trigger till you're ready to shoot. But when you're shooting like a cowboy style single action gun, the, the trigger pull is much lighter than mm -hmm. in the uh, in the double action automatics or or some of the other like the Glock style pistols and that right. uh, some 1911s have a touchy trigger also but it's all in that single action trigger pull where you're only dropping the hammer you're not actually doing any cocking not doing anything or else turning anything off or and then the other thing the piece de resistance that we end every class with is the ability to shoot a 20 gauge shotgun and we use an interactive target the ultimate interactive target so we came about this a couple of times and it was really easy the um, we'll get to it after the break and no, we've got 30 seconds so, so. We, we buy two liter bottles of pop from the local sam's club and they're like 80 cents a piece you can't hardly buy a target for 80 cents, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about this right after the... Right, so we're shooting, so what we're shooting is two liter bottles of pop with a 20-gauge shotgun, and the first hit, it really is very interactive. <laughs> so. All right, so much more coming up in our second hour of Gun Freedom Radio, right after this. Stick around. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com.